we got dreaming and thinking about well, what change would we create in the world? And we started thinking about what impact can we have on people that are at school and, and this huge gap in education basically that you go to school each day and you learn your English and your maths but essentially we're, we're missing the most important conversations ever at school and they're not being had by the right people either. Hi there, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods. It's time to fire up your day with some fuel for change. We run on a simple hypothesis here, that the humble act of grabbing a coffee with someone inspiring is all that it takes to tap into your ability to go out and be the change that you want to see in the world. Coffee Potters, I'm so excited to share today's conversation with you. These are two women I fangirl hard over. I'm talking about sisters Rosie and Lucy Thomas, who co-founded Project Rocket fresh out of high school 13 years ago. They're now running an extraordinary global business that's promoting a world for young people where kindness and respect thrive over bullying, hate and prejudice. Just shaking up the game as we know it and thinking at a fundamental level about how we do humanity, technology, conversation and connection better. Here are the girls. Lucy, Rosie, Thomas, I'm so stoked to have you here as part of Coffee Pods. I've been looking forward to this conversation, I can't even tell you for how long, because I deeply, deeply admire the two of you and the work that you do, and I've followed your journey for, I reckon, over a decade now, and just been blown away by the trajectory that you've been on, and, and the conversation that you're starting, not just in this country, but globally, that I think we need to have about the reality of how we treat one another. Uh, how that extends online and and the kind of the reality of bullying in the modern day so thank you for making the time to chat oh thank you for having i feel like we're all sitting here beaming at each other <laughs> oh, yeah. Coffee. yeah the admiration yeah. the admiration's mutual oh, that's, that's sure. very kind yeah. well i want to go back to well, actually let's start with the thomas household growing up because <laughs> i look at you two have been successfully in partnership you know now for, for 13 years running project rocket and i go was was this always in the cards? Were, were Lucy and Rosie always going to end up going into business with one another? Was that was that how that you know was it on the cards early? We were running lemonade stalls at age four. I actually remember um, selling matchsticks out the front. How un- uninventive is wow, that? Yeah. And, um, people bought them, and I think <laughs> it's because I, I tried to charm my way. How would you describe our our household growing up? We we're pretty different. I things. definitely um, missed the the racy matchstick stand you had out the front. The um, <laughs> well, I'm sure she could, she could sell matchsticks to, to our neighbours. She yeah. could sell something to anyone, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I think growing up, like, we were always super different. Um, three years apart, I don't think we ever would have anticipated starting a business, but definitely starting something together. Mm. Uh, I remember being growing up with stories of what my life became when my sister came into the world that previously okay. it had been very inward-looking and imaginative <laughs> and all of my imaginary friends promptly disappeared the minute Ro came on the scene. So, um, yeah, full of beans and we've been, like, super tight, really, uh, for most of our lives growing up. But it's interesting because, like, we were saying before that I think so many people view us as interchangeable. Yeah. Um, and even often we're like, it's Rosie here speaking. Um, <laughs> but but actually we're, we're just complete opposites and we always have been. Like I almost describe our childhood as I was a, a bedroom door open person and you could hear everything coming out of my bedroom because I was just like, yeah, probably a little brat. I prefer, um, you know, creative or but a bit of a diva. And Lewis was th- this bedroom door closed kid and I always wondered what was going on behind that door but yeah full into books and and chemistry sets and just deep imagination but somehow when the two of us came together and we always have throughout our lives 
we just sort of click and our energies sort of um, even out a bit and we just can create stuff together. So, That's really cool. But it's been like that since the very beginning. Yeah, I even reflect on the door closed scenario that I had to rig up a musical birthday card to my door so that I could tell every time she opened the door to invade my privacy <laughs> and it'd start singing Happy birthday to you. <laughs> exactly. And she'd come running and I'd have to race out of her bedroom with like her top under my arm or something. But mm. Because I was stealing her wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So you talk about kind of the, the difference in personality. How does that come to life in the way you complement each other working wise now? What are the strengths that you would each describe one another as having that kind of you throw into the unique melting pot? It's so interesting. Yesterday I was talking to 150 year 7 to 12 students mm-hmm. who are doing a leadership course at Melbourne Uni. We were talking about the concept of synergy mm-hmm. and I described it. My concept of synergy is that I'm so grateful to have found my like ultimate synergetic partner and I was like born into that relationship where, um, you know, stripping back the, um, you know, the sum of two parts and blah, blah, blah. Actually, yeah, we've, we just sort of found a way in which... Um, yeah, all of my weaknesses seem to be your strengths and, and vice versa. And, you know, we still allow each other to um, shine in those areas and to develop in those areas. But it's just seemed to work out in such a way that our, that our interests, that our skills, that even like our sort of vision on things um, align, but they're just very, very complementary. Mm, I'd reflect that, um, yeah, where I'm at now, all of the things that I could would have held me back from ever imagining being a CEO or running an organisation um, are present within my sister, which is kind of incredible. I'm the kind of character who could spend easily a good four hours planning a phone call that I'm terrified to make. Uh, And that's just to call someone to cancel dinner in two nights time like I'm just terrified of yeah being on so the front foot socially or classic show up at a networking event and spend the whole night in the bathroom pretending or pretending I'm on the phone when I'm not because I'm just nervous in those settings mm. whereas Rory is absolutely fantastic at building relationships and not in the cheesy salesperson way actually mm. in a really genuine gets a buzz out of people and draws energy from being around lots of different Mm, folks mm. Um, and so yeah it's it's been a real compliment because not only does it encourage me or I guess force me to be in those settings too in a supported way but actually I can allow you to do what you do Mm. really well um, and know that you've got that part covered yeah and on the other hand I think like honoring each other's growth is Mm. that you don't let somebody sit in the toilet or or stew over a phone (laughs) call for four hours like we grow each other in that way too and like for me I think that um you know I'm can get like I'm biased for doing basically so I can just want to run very very fast ahead and um while that has its strengths at times like if we don't sit down and think things through and creatively dream up things and then put a plan behind it like God knows the potential harm that I could create (laughs) as I'm like catapulting through trying to create social change but yeah and so um you know but at the same time I've learned so over the years I feel like I've had um, a professor of dreaming and planning helping me, um, you know, harness that energy and for us to create a plan. And so I've got better at strategy. I've got better at big thinking. Um, So, yeah, I think like we don't just, you know, you don't get a free pass on the things that you feel like you're not great at. You get a mentor on on that stuff. But at the same time, you're also allowed to shine in the areas in which, you know, come naturally to you. Absolutely. I want to get into mentors and kind of how you guys have have sort of learnt as you've done because it's been an incredible growth journey. But I felt we've got to go back to the start of of where Project Rocket was born. What inspired you to get the organisation up and running? Right. Would you want to speak to that? Because you were connecting with it quite recently. So I actually just got back from a holiday in Noosa and I took a photo at that time um, of me on a bench in the middle of the main street. And the explanation behind that is it's actually the bench that Luce and I came up with the idea for Project Rocket about 14 years ago. 
and we were on a family holiday at the time and then a bit of a crossroads like I'd just finished high school and Luce was just finishing um, her honours in creative arts and we were like on this family holiday and classically I'd spent the whole day on the beach and Luce had spent the whole day in the shade but we came together at the end and and yeah we're having those live chats about what we wanted to do and the impact that we wanted to have and we just felt I guess a bit Oh, it was a bit anticlimactic finishing school and having receiving the messages that you can change the world and just get ready for it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then it kind of felt like for me personally that I'd sort of started university and was sort of hibernating from the life that I wanted to create. Um, and at the same time, having just finished high school, knowing so well um, the problems that people were facing at school, myself included. So things like harmful labelling and judgement and bullying and stigma um, and, yeah, not, not being able to be seen to fulfil your opportunity. Um, yeah, was just so front of mind and present. We were thinking about all the people that we went to school with who, it's that conversation, it's like, where do people end up? Like, where do they go? And before the days of Facebook, you kind of don't know. They sort of just finish school and, and, and yeah, sort of you don't know what happens. And so I kind of I think we got dreaming and thinking about well, what change would we create in the world? And we started thinking about, um, well, you know, what impact can we have on people that are at school and, and this huge gap in education basically that you go to school each day and you learn your English and your maths, but um, essentially we're, we're missing the most important conversations ever at school and they're not being had by the right people either. They weren't, young people weren't being consulted at all on their own lives or how they engage with each other or build empathy or work out what they stand for. So that's sort of the beginning of the conversation started mm. then, I'd say. Mm. What would your take be, Luce? Uh, I think, I guess for me, like throughout high school, I can reflect I genuinely was someone who cared about my peers. Like, through and through, really cared about the other people in my year level, also felt like I was possibly legitimately an alien transplanted into a human mm. body. I felt like a total oddball weirdo throughout school and perhaps doubted my capacity to challenge the things that I disagreed with, although for the large part I'd like to think that I did. <laughs> um, but finishing school, like, I, yeah, as Ro mentioned, I just observed some people really step confidently out into the world and others yeah. seem to drop off the face of the earth. Um, and when I was able to trace that back, you know, starting high school, it did seem like we were on a relatively, you know, level playing field. But it was like some folks just drew a really unlucky lottery ticket that's further and further alienated them from the path that they could have had mm. because of the way they were treated by their peers. And for me, as someone who had huge ambition, not for myself, but for humanity and what we could potentially be throughout school, I really had that hopeful, dreamy, idealistic view. I just thought, imagine if instead of focusing entirely on our, our academia or on our own personal growth, we looked out for each other. Imagine the kind of citizens we'd leave school as if we learnt to tackle bullying, hate and prejudice in school. Like, it's almost like a rehearsal for the issues that are going mm. on in the world that we see mm. playing, on a, playing out on a global scale. Imagine if we learnt those skills now, the kind of change that we could affect once we left school. And so, yeah, that was a, a great revelation that really led to the genesis of Project Rocket for me. And uh, yeah, I'd say that it is a question that we get asked probably most commonly is okay. when they find out that you've devoted the last 13 or 14 years of your life to tackling the issue of bullying, it's, you know, did you have a really horrendously traumatic experience at school? And we both 100% know what it's like to be bullied. I, I don't know a human on this planet that Who really hasn't? doesn't. I agree. And that's the important thing to remember here when we're labelling bullies and victims is that this is a human behaviour that we're all capable of. Mm. And at the same time, I put my hand up and say, yeah, 
Holly, there were totally times at schools where I did lots of things that I weren't proud of, that I actually did bully others at times throughout school. But when we were at school, we were both reflecting on this park bench at Noosa that when it, we wanted to create social change. And how, how do you create social change? You mobilise the majority of people with empathy and tools and skills and, and the desire to actually create that change. And when we were at school, we were, the, were one of the majority of people mm. in the bullying situation, and that's the audience, you know, the bystander. Yeah. So we, we really wanted to empower those people to stand up. And one last thing on that, because I just remembered, um, you asked, like, what was your childhood like? What was your household like? Yeah, yeah. You know, did you think that you'd be doing this? We used to come home from school and, you know, our mum, who's a, a real fierce force of social change Why herself. Why am I not surprised that yeah, she's don't fall far from the tree? She's a bizarre person. <laughs> she's, she's, she's so passionate. But, um, yeah, that. we used to come home from school and if we did walk in um, after school and say, oh, mum, I saw something horrible at school today, her first question was always, like, well, what are you going to do about it? Or what did you do about it? Mm. So I think, like, primed with that, throughout life um, and sometimes we did something and sometimes we didn't we wanted to help young people equip them with the tools to do something about it when they saw something that they didn't like I love it your pa passion on it is so infectious too can I just say like hearing you share that it feels as real now as I feel like it must have been on that park bench in Noosa all those years ago I mean that's an audacious thing to dream up a lot of people listening have probably maybe they've had an idea on the back burner there's something they're passionate about they've maybe not ever dipped their toes in the water how do you go from dreaming something that big and then starting? Right, so I think one of the things that helped us is that we literally had no knowledge of running a business or an organisation and actually no ambition to. That wasn't I part love of it. You think that helped us? Oh, that's, that's what I was going to say. We're not reacting. <laughs> yeah. The reason is it set up no expectations or worries about yeah, failure. Right. Um, basically, we saw that this issue of bullying was super important. We knew that as our lives spill further and further online, there's going to be a greater digital divide in terms of adults supporting one. young people mm. to address these issues. But uh, we just felt that the, the, the whole problem needed to be, um, we needed to charge young people to address this problem mm. um, because it's a problem that affects them most and they have the tools to change. And that's what we saw was missing. So our real goal was to get started and do the work. We didn't necessarily have um, impressions of what achievement would look like sure. um, mm. around growing, definitely no desire for this to be a, a far-reaching organisation or a movement or a career. Mm. Basically, we saw a problem and we're so compelled to tackle it. And that was the, the that was what made it possible for us, I think. And we knew what the work was. So we knew what we wanted to do, want, wanted Project Rocket to be, for mm. example. We knew that we wanted to, it to be the opposite of everything we received on, the, <laughs> on that education when we were at school. So we knew that we want, it wanted to be like a workshop in schools run by young people for young people. Yeah, so like from the get-go we decided that we wouldn't go into school and lecture people. Mm. Um, instead, we'd ask questions and listen to other people's questions and acknowledge when we didn't know the answers. And instead of trying to leverage like guilt or inspiration as a motivation why everyone should stand up for everything all of the time, we'd be real and acknowledge the risks involved in challenging hate and prejudice, especially if you've experienced it yourself or you're part yeah. of a marginalised group. Um, there are increased risks and in, and in fact, like we need to be safe as well. We decided that instead of like demonising technology, we'd look at the way that it can be used as a tool for connection and how awesome it can be and celebrate it and ultimately I guess we decided that it would be really fun that you know by connecting with peers in your year level that you've never connected for with by laughing by hearing where they come from and ultimately by seeing them 
then next time you see they're having a hard time, you're going to have empathy and be motivated sure. to stand Definitely. up for them. Yeah. yeah. We just wanted it to be real and fun. Uh, and, and that's where it started. Mm. And take us back to that first workshop. What was it like? Do you remember? Yeah. So our first workshop was our old school. So we basically went away and we built like a program yep. based on as much research as we could conduct at the time, which looking back would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> but also, most importantly, like engaging all of our own recent experiences and our peers yeah, and, and friends. And, and yeah, yeah. Um, and then going back to our old school, I'm pretty sure we made them pay as well. Like, Good on you. Yeah, well, well so they should because the big challenge at the time, it's hard to believe there weren't anti-bullying programs in schools or there weren't even anti-bullying policies necessarily. They weren't yeah, mandatory. Wow. So we had to convince teachers that there should be these programs, that young people should run them, not teachers, and that they should pay us basically. But our old school got behind us and they backed us. And those early years of Project Rocket was such a test of the approach. We, we decided, as Lou said from the beginning, that we weren't going to stand at the front of the lecture. So that really prompted us to think really creatively about how to get young people to deliver their own messages. And so we sort of started to um, build this, um, what's, what's become our sort of signature show, not tell approach. Mm. But along the way of coming up with like really memorable um, creative activities like social experiments, we bombed so many. Like I'm sure we, we basically, we wanted to um, facilitate a way in which a young person and a group of young people could have this wow aha moment mm. that's going to carry with them throughout school they can engage with these issues that are you know so stigmatized and young people are already feeling so judged about in a new way mm. but to get there meant that we had to sit around for a very long time um, remembering weird childhood games that we used to play like yeah, together right. and then remodeling them refining them attaching learning outcomes to them and then basically testing them in schools throughout Melbourne uh, and it was a slow build, like at times, like, you know, again, it was one school and one school and one school. And we didn't know that it was going to become something, but over time, the momentum built and built and even, even the most critical teachers that used to stand up the back of the room and just like death stare us. Because I think they were threatened, they maybe thought that we were threatening their, their ability. Their way mm. of teaching or doing things Well, they, they became, other than the students themselves, which have always been the ambassadors, they became the biggest advocates of the program. And, and it got to a point really where we realised that we'd created something more than a workshop or a business or an organisation that we, we created a bit of a movement, a bit of a swell. Mm. Um, and we realised we owed it to all those young people to actually sort of, Rosie and Lucy, get serious and, and morph this, this beast into an organisation that can sustain itself yeah. beyond just the two of us. So the get serious moment, uh, how scary was that? You know, kind of going from something where I imagine you, you, you developed kind of a... Uh, a way of doing things or almost a comfort zone. It sounds like there was plenty of experimentation and improv in the way that you're working with the content itself. But, you know, that moment where it's like, oh, okay, we're going to build a budget. We're going to start employing people. We're going to scale. Are we going to go pitch for funding? And that's a whole other level. How did you guys navigate kind of that, that chasm? Mm. Mm. Well, I think to acknowledge that we came from a, a very basic origin of like, okay, we're going to start a business. Let's Google how to do it. ABN. What is GST? <laughs> like we were so, we were so oh, basic on this statements. stuff. Oh. <laughs> we, didn't, we did not know what we we're doing. Um, and so looking down the barrel of uh, accountability, I guess, to, to a movement that I'd actually suggest was really formed by the students and teachers that we were working with and we felt we were carried along with it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so it really felt like at that point as well a, a, a moment of determining do we continue down this uh, for-profit social enterprise path or do we uh, set up a not-for-profit to continue doing this work? And at that point, one of the things that really helped us to scale and kept us accountable was that we set up as a social enterprise. Mm. And from the get-go, that was really important to us as... Um, 
young people, we wanted a, to, an, an approach that was almost self-evaluating, that mm. we knew that if we were able to procure a grant or funding to cover the program for a number of years, then that would end, and we wouldn't have any measure, really, aside from doing a formal evaluation, as to whether, what the impact was. I've never heard that perspective on social enterprise. That's really interesting, that idea it's self-evaluating. Well, like we that. knew that if people wanted it, they'd talk about it, yeah, they'd share it, they'd, they'd keep, mm-hmm. keep yeah, you know, yeah, paying for the programs, mm-hmm. they'd be invested in it. Um, and of course our intention and remains to funnel our profits back into the organisation and growing the movement. Um, but basically that gave us the means to to grow where it was needed. Mm. So the catching up for us was then like, okay, so we know we know where we need to be expanding. We know what needs to be expanded because we're, it's, we've got the data, we've got the mm. market research. It's self, mm-hmm. self-evaluating and evolving. Really accurate data too, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and keeps you really humble because there might be areas um, in which you're like, oh, look over there, that's really shiny. We could be doing work mm. in corporates or well, universities. Yeah. invested in it or something like that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the number of um, wealthy corporates who have come to us and said, have you ever considered breaking out into the corporate space mm. and running these these workshops in business settings and and politely oh that sounds great but you know or, or, or we'd try it we'd try it and we'd yeah, be like oh this, this isn't yeah. this isn't right and, and it's not on mission you know yeah. as mm. Australia's youth-driven movement against bullying hate and prejudice uh, so yeah it, it really kept us on on task being both mission and enterprise oriented I guess. Mm. Mm. What is it that surprised you most about the journey you've been on with growing the business so far and what is it you found most challenging? Mm. Great question. The whole thing's a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd say every bit of it. Even like this year, Holly, is probably the first or second year where we've been adequately resourced, for yeah. one, um, where we, we've really grown our team into leaders. Like we've, we've really spent the last five to six years like doing two steps forward one step back Mm. learning how to grow out our team um, and a model for our team as well and then retaining people and growing them it's hard to grow a team when you don't know quite what's next and so this is the first time in which that feels like there aren't as many surprises and probably it's the team now too just for context i think there's about 20 of us now yeah 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 so um yeah we're a small but mighty team i think um in the month of june we did um, uh, the equivalent of a lap of the world in kilometres visiting wow. schools and workshops but just here in Australia so and by we I mean it was the very very um, hard-working presenting team that um, <laughs> did all that but yeah in terms of um, now like having all the knowns um, there are still plenty of unknowns to keep me excited but I think I really thrive in the unknown and so for me on my journey um, as an entrepreneur and, and as a Rosie I think that's something that I'm sort of grappling with a bit is wow you know what what is next if, if everything feels so known and it feels like the path is is being laid by so many which is so fantastic and we've been thriving for for so long um, yeah sort of what is next yeah, yeah. How about you Liz? Um, I think I can. The surprise is genuinely that this whole thing's happened, that it, and that we're still doing it, um, and it's still it's it's thriving. I'm surprised, but I also don't want it, that to undercut the extent to which I back what we've been doing no, as well. Doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't think I had any expectations whatsoever. Uh, the challenge for me has been really that what's always driven me with Project Rocket is the work and the mission. And in fact, uh, we separate out our roles as co-CEOs in terms of Ro being CEO of enterprise and me being this so or it or driving the driving the machine forward and me mm-hmm. being the CEO of like impact or mission yeah. um, and so for me the biggest challenge has been as the team's grown and as I've stepped further and further away from my youth um, really stepping back 
Um, not because I, I'm, I have a sense of pride or control over it, but because I love doing the work. Mm. And so I think um, the biggest challenge has been finding meaning away from doing the day-to-day -day work of the organisation, um, given that I had no ambition to, to lead an organisation. Uh, and a big part of that for me in my role is supporting our team of young presenters who go out and do the work, uh, who are absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they face a, a raft of challenges that I didn't um, because they have different lived experiences and identities. And that's a really important part of being effective in tackling oh, bullying, yeah. hate and prejudice is having representation from a, a really diverse range of you know lived experiences. But it's also incredibly challenging to sit with them in the awful experiences that they face, often in school, um, not just from school students, but actually on social media from people who follow our, our accounts or yeah, uh, from from parents and educators as well and just the just the very issues that we're setting out to tackle often come back at them um, and that's an incredibly hard thing to ask someone to do when you don't have their shared lived experience and also to sit in them with it and support them so it's it's a real challenge but it, that to me is like where I can add the most value and um, the most support to the organization I guess. I want to touch on this whole piece around tackling bullying, hate and prejudice because I think you guys have spanned an extraordinary uh, period of time. When you look at the last 13 years, I, I unfortunately feel like we've just seen a... Oh, I, we've gone down a slippery slope when it comes to the way that we engage with one another with this whole new digital world opening up trolling and mm. just online hate and these kind of echo chambers that people are existing in where, I don't know, and, and the toxicity of the media coverage too. I'd, I'd love, if you could contextualise for people listening, where are we at in 2019 when it comes to the topics of bullying, hate and prejudice in this country? And what have you observed in the 13 years you've been working at the coalface of the issue? Mm -hmm. I think the feeling right now, I think as a society... <laughs> I could talk for everyone is is a bit of a feeling of hopelessness mm. I think um, and I think um, you know social media has just really made things louder I think basically um, and so it's not like these are age-old issues um, and they're human issues they're not failings of technology they're failings of us um, and I think um, social media is basically broadcast them um, and at times like created um, magnets for people to to find each other and to then make those voices even louder I think for us addressing these issues in schools like we're, we're full of hope um, it's not hopelessness for us um, you know we get to engage with young people on these on these topics every day and hearing their opinions like I wish they were voting mm, currently so like I'm I, all for yes, lower, lowering absolutely. the voting age to um, 16 um, yeah all for it but yeah I think um, look social media basically didn't come with like a digital ethics book <laughs> we're, we're basically playing catch up it exploded um, all those years ago really with the launch I'd say of Facebook um, we know over a third of the world's population is currently on Facebook and you know part of our role Luce and I sit on Facebook's global safety cancel. board yeah. and yeah part of our role there um, not at all as Facebook spokespeople but is to be the spokespeople of young people that we work with and to be able to create opportunities for them to share their ideas directly with Facebook so that we can create as much social change as possible because we feel that if we can create change around policies and products on Facebook as a platform that other platforms look to yeah. and as a platform that can impact it's bigger than any country 2.5 billion people it's bigger than any continent so we have such an opportunity for impact there and actually in terms of ways in which we do share young people's views with the likes of Facebook and Instagram next Tuesday we're flying um, eight Project Rocket students to Sydney to meet with the global head of safety who's flying out from San Francisco right. where they'll have an opportunity to participate in a workshop and then share their ideas with with that person and also with um, 
other policymakers and stakeholders in Australia because we want to hold social media platforms accountable, mm. but also we want to give them an opportunity to listen and thrive and create, um, you know, a place where we can be more compassionate because our view is that um, social media shouldn't just be safe. It should be a place where um, people can have free expression, but they are protected from hate speech and mm -hmm. have an opportunity to connect with one another. We know that bullying thrives in like apathetic environments. Yeah, we know that whether it's online or offline. So we want to combat that by, you know, helping young people create a world of kindness, basically online. I love that. Mm. Mm. I think like over the course of the arc of Project Rocket, we've seen we, when we started out, there was a real division in people's attitudes between the online world and the offline world. And there was that kind of idea that, you know, you can have a secret life online and um, which <laughs> is were the days. Right, which is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> was, was, there were benefits to that for, sure. you know, young LGBTI folks in regional remote locations oh gosh, that didn't absolutely. have access or um, slowly over time, you started to see communities organize around that idea um, and, and become much more global. Mm. Um, you know, but yet we've seen people start to then have really like out there intense and at times violent and aggressive conversations online which haven't died down. But I think what we've started to see is incredible polarisation in views and mm. that uh, one side is, is now not talking to the other, that mm. people are exhausted and fatigued and there's a sense of like there's only one right, there's only one truth and it's the one that my group has and my group holds. Um, and so I think that that's a real challenge, especially on platforms, yeah, like Twitter, which are about creating conversations and democratising conversations, um, that, yeah, we're, we're seeing that people actually aren't talking to each other that need to be. Mm. And, and I'd... I'd um, I guess I'd put a caveat on that and say that for some people it's not safe to be having those conversations, mm. but for those of us who can, we must. Um, and I really strongly believe that, that the only way we're going to create a bridge through which we can actually connect and tackle some of the underlying difficult problems that we're facing as humanity and are now just amplified onto the social media platforms that we live, the only way is, is to talk and to connect and to start ha thrashing uh, this, this type of stuff out. So, yeah, that's the way I see uh, it. You know, I love listening. I could listen to you speak all day. Yeah, and that, that, honest, totally honestly, like, that. yeah, yeah, I got yeah. caught up in that because I just realised that I've had a moment this week where there's somebody in my social channels, so on Instagram and Facebook, mm. who is in the social exchange space and I really admire their work and we have really opposing political views right. and I've realized in the past few years particularly with like um, when I've been personally impacted mm. say through the example the plebiscite yeah. um, you know how damaging fear is and how polarizing it is and also with the big shocks of things like possibly the 2019 election you're aware of your echo chamber and so this person polarizing political views and I've wanted to delete um, them from my network all yeah, week right. and I've deliberately chosen against it because this is the problem it's that we're deleting each other from our networks and we're moving further and further away from each other and that's not that's not the solution but I think like how can we do that as a society like how can we do that as a collective move closer together but but have respectful ways in which we can have these conversations because right now it does feel really disrespectful and mm. there are people out there that um, are rightly in, in real fear for their safety um, mm -hmm. and so that's a really big issue. And I think you're right too that we've sort of lost that art of the ability to have conversations across the divide, mm. whatever that issue might be, right? And be able to sit and listen and hold space. And it's funny, you know, you say the account deleting thing because a lot of what I've seen people advise around, you know, how to keep young people safe online or how you should kind of 
um, see your digital world as an extension of your physical world is, you know, if you're reading, when we think about the relationship between social and mental health, if you're reading feed or you're following someone and you feel worse for the fact that you've consumed their content, then you should unfollow them because you kind of got to think about your digital world as being an extension from a mental health standpoint of everything you're doing on a day-to-day basis. How do you advise people to show up in this world? How can you take control? How can you engage in a healthy way? But to your point, for those that can, how do you take on the challenge of trying to shift the conversation somewhere better? I notice when I still look to like policymakers and older folks that I that are the custodians of the space we're working in around, you know, young people's empowerment, safety, that type mm-hmm. of thing, that there's still a, a discourse around cyber safety or digital citizenship or yeah. cyber bullying or online hate. And when you take away the online part, <sighs> that actually just sounds like safety, citizenship, yeah. um, bullying, bullying yeah. hate. Um, and I think that the key here is for us to not look to technological solutions to our social problems that Mm. you know absolutely it's important that young people and all of us in fact are literate about the tools that we have at our disposal to report someone block something limit a conversation uh, switch off when we need to all of these strategies that are about our devices Mm. are so important but again this goes back to and this should be an empowering perspective for parents being not about an, an ever-evolving technological stream of devices and games and social media apps and we can't keep up. Mm. Actually, it should be about developing our social skills and competencies as human beings mm. and as citizens. So what does that mean? It means that we need to understand and learn about navigating relationships respectfully, understanding and developing better literacy around consent and what it means to... Um, yeah, violate someone's privacy or their... Yeah, it's, I'm naming this because image-based abuse is a huge thing for the young people that we work with. Yeah. It means uh, developing the skills to handle conflict resolution, which I think many of us lack. Mm. Myself, totally. it's something I really struggle with is assertiveness. And you can see that a lot of folks get online and without, without the skills or without the opportunity to have developed those skills, you can see the way that those conversations are playing out. So mm-hmm. I think this is about adopting a really pro-social approach mm. um, to... to in part to address the problems that we're seeing playing out online. And I think, um, yeah, speaking to that is that I think what social media has sort of um, made us become a bit is very risk adverse. Mm. And I think particularly looking at the lens um, of young people and their interactions with social media, I think um, parents are, are so apprehensive about their facing risk online that they just want to shut it down completely. And I think um, when we do that, we really strip young people of their opportunity. Mm. We know, as Louise was saying, like from a pro-social perspective is that all of that risk and harm and potential for danger is actually all wrapped up in community, connection, opportunity, education, belonging, cohesiveness, you know, so we can't view it through through that lens basically. But I think as well is that in doing so, traditionally um, young people develop resilience, for example, um, by facing risk. So I know as a young person, I'm actually quite grateful for some of the horrendous mistakes I made growing up. (laughs) Fortunately, they weren't broadcast on social media, but... But at the same time, that's how I learnt my limits. It's how I developed my strength of character, my values, you know, and and in doing so, it's helped me be the person that I am today. And so having a little bit of risk is actually really, really important. So we don't want to shut that down and remove that entirely. Mm. I'm interested to know, obviously, you're you're working with young people day in, day out. You're facilitating this conversation next week. What are they suggesting as new ways, different ways we can... Because I think that's that's part of the interesting thing too, like having almost fresher eyes to the conversation and, and coming 
doing it at live time, being in the realities of how this plays out day to day. That being said, I love that you guys describe this as a human issue or a human challenge, not just a school challenge, because I think the notion that we outgrow bullying the moment we graduate is so deeply flawed. It's not even funny. Um, But what are you seeing and hearing from them? I feel like you just met with the Youth Brains Trust on Saturday. So yeah, like fresh, Name, yeah. Say, yeah. Trust, we're so it. lucky we've been working with this a cohort of um, folks who are school students who I get to catch up with every Saturday once in a while, buy a whole bunch of pizza and just talk about what they're seeing and what they're observing and their frustrations of the world. And it's such a healthy practice. And we always invite different team members along and absorb by osmosis their brilliance and wisdom and energy. And it's incredible. Can I say, I feel like every leader in the country should be doing that. Well, well, it's really what keeps Project Rocket relevant and safe and truly youth driven. So, I mean, they are really the DNA of Project Rocket. It's Mm. really not us or our team. It's the students and our Youth Brains Trust that really like form everything that we do. Mm. And it's really interesting when you, uh, our last Brains Trust meetup was focusing on the types of bullying, hate and prejudice that they're observing in the world around them and in their lives um, and as close to their social circles as possible. And it's really interesting that when, as adults, we think about examples of cyberbullying, we tend to think about someone being overtly mean, trolling someone else, yeah. leaking a private photo, something very overt and, and uh, yeah, or, and also something that maybe is distinct from an offline experience as well. People, sure. Um, but what was so interesting was hearing about the way that, um, yeah, people are using technology relationally to harm someone else or mm. in a very subtle, covert way. And in bullying, same go- they were talking about the way that there's such a spill across uh, our devices and our lives and stepping into school and seeing how immersive an experience of being given a hard time is these days. Yeah. Um, and one brilliant comment for our, from our Brains Trust, she was talking about the nature of being mean in a school setting. And she okay. said, these days you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, this one girl in my year level, she's been giving me a hard time. And it's not that she says, um, hey, Jess is a bitch. Jess is really nasty. Because mm-hmm. she knows now that women aren't supposed to call each other a bitch. Yeah. She knows that that's a really problematic word and it's just going to make her look bad. Mm-hmm. So instead she'll say, hey, um, I feel like Jess is judging me. I feel like she- I heard her call someone else a bitch. Did you hear that? Um, and it's a way of driving a wedge mm-hmm. and, and f- further isolating that person so that when it comes time for you to create a really destructive WhatsApp, thre- a WhatsApp thread where you're mounting an attack on this person, you've got three people on your yeah, side. Yeah, have got all this indirect mm-hmm. ammo. Right. Yeah. So, and what's really challenging is that when we look to social media platforms and educators and government um, to set up safety for young people, how are they supposed to navigate those issues? Where's the reporting structure to deal with that type of nuanced relational mean nastiness yeah um yeah it's so clever and it's so covert and basically people are working out ways to adapt around the structures that they're supposed to be accountable to Mm. um so yeah we're really seeing that these issues are playing out in such different ways and i'd add to that by saying like on the flip side we're also seeing um young people's like genius skills and outlook being used in an incredible way as well yeah. and, and um, like leveraging social media and the digital space to like create social change or I mean you look for look at the hashtag March for Our Lives yeah like talk about mobilizing millions for social change and young people you know look at um, climate action strike against climate you know it's 
it's pretty amazing the way the young people are really harnessing these tools for good as well. And part of what we want to do at Project Rocket um, and the movement that we're creating of young people doing this is like shifting the spotlight away mm. from all the negative ways in which people are using social media because it creates a really negative norm. And that's not the norm, actually. Most of us are using it for good or respectfully. So we really want to like shift those, create new expectations, basically, of how yeah. to behave. And we actually find that, yeah, by shining a spotlight on young people doing amazing things in their school, it actually has this really positive ripple effect where it creates a positive norm for others to do the same. It's awesome. Mm. You're so intentional around kind of giving young people, putting them at the forefront of what you do and empowering them. Um, how have you empowered yourselves on the journey? You know, think about starting at a time where you, you acknowledge didn't know anything about business. What have you actually done that's enabled or supported you in being successful on the journey? You mentioned the word mentors before. What's kind of been fundamental to helping you out? Mm. Yeah, really, really good question because um, doing Project Rocket for the last 13 years since finishing high school, it's kind of been everything that I know. Yeah. And, and yeah, in many ways, looking back, it feels almost like Project Rocket has been like my third parent. It's sort of raised me over the years. And I mean that in so many different ways. Like I've learned more from running workshops from the young people we work with. But it's almost been a bit like I'd imagine therapy, like being being able to unpack these huge conversations in a room full of young people who, like me at the time, I mean, I was only a few years out of school myself, um, learning so much about my own identity, for example. It's such an enormous privilege. On the other hand, um, you know, I've felt like at times I haven't had a lot of support outside of the Project Rocket bubble. Mm -hmm. I think um, starting out with Project Rocket, there wasn't like this movement of women in business. We didn't know that we were women in business until maybe like a few years ago. Doing, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, there wasn't a movement around social change and young people. And we didn't even know what the word social enterprise was when we started Project Rocket. So for so long, it felt like it really was just the, the sort of the two of us being so obviously connected to the purpose and and getting so much reward from working with young people that it really really did feel at times like we were in sort of great isolation and no one knew what we were doing yeah um but i really felt like my biggest challenge there was um over the years is battling the sort of confidence issues so um overtly on the outside you know being a really extroverted person and often the spokesperson of the organization in many ways yeah, yeah absolutely battled it over the years like yeah. so many different um issues relating to self-doubt and confidence and yeah. if you heard the nasty things that i say to myself you'd be like how are you founder of an anti-bullying organization like i have a mean truth, girl right? in my this head what yeah. we do to ourselves right the unconscious yeah. narrative that we need to wrestle to take control of yeah we'd never let someone else say what we say to ourselves um, I'd be like, don't say that to my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think um, for me personally, it's been like really wrestling with, um, you know, knowing who I am and what I want to achieve and also just like quietening that voice. Mm -hmm. And also at times that we have done some really audacious things at Project Rocket and it feels like we're flying by the seam of our pants at times. It's not as deliberate yep. as it might look from the outside. And so like really being aware of the fact of, I almost feel like every two years I look ahead at what's, what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> I need to go and get, like collect all the skills to unlock the next level. Um, and whether that be by going and doing a short course or whether it be mostly for me, it's been meeting lots of people and mm -hmm. yeah, building really um, mutual relationships where we can support each other and learn. Um, but yeah, basically feel like I have had to go and like really quieten that confident voice and instead lean into all the things that I don't know and be like, bring it on and mm. try and learn as much as I can to sort of unlock the next level. And if I can ask just before we jump to Lou, how have you wrestled with that voice in your head? What have you done that's actually made a difference in, in kind of getting, getting her to quieten yeah. down? Yeah, so I definitely will be honest and say that I haven't solved it yeah. yet. 
but I think I've gotten much, much better at quietening that voice. For me, I think it has um, been naming it. So rather, like if you don't name it, it just becomes this quiet little, it's the quiet voice that is, that is most dangerous. Because when you've got a mean girl shouting at you in your head, you can be like, shut up. Mm. But when it's that persistent, quiet voice that starts saying, you don't really know that. Or do, do you really think that you can do that? That's when it starts um, really contaminating not just my life in business, but in every aspect of my life. And in, if you let it go for too long, it ends up bloody poisoning everything. Mm. And it's really hard to bounce back from. So I think for me, it's been like naming it. You know, I need to give, I should give her a name. Actually, I don't think she deserves a name. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, she really must not be named. calling Voldemort. that out. And I think um, for me, it is actually being really proactive. So, you know, self-doubt is it actually an important tool in my life because it holds me accountable to the things that I don't know or the, or the areas in which I need to develop. So, so it's reframing it too. Yeah, so it's really, yeah, that's an opportunity to call it out, name it for what it is, and then maybe use it as a bit of a clue and mm. take the good bits from it and use it as a clue as to how I can sort of improve. And so for me, I'll give you an example. So let's say the self-doubt is um, around, you know, it's around confidence, like you don't deserve to be here or you don't deserve to be saying that. Then for me, it's like, I deserve to be here. I deserve to say that. I need to lean into that. And I'm going to, I'm going to book in another public speaking opportunity. I'm going to mm. say, I'll give you, I'll do a free keynote on this issue. And I'll put myself in that driver's seat and I'll put, you know, I'll quieten that voice by actually leaning into the, my gifts, um, building confidence and actually. It's almost directly space. batting it back almost. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it, is that self-talk well, that you're I, using there too? Or are you yeah. actively replacing the language that you're kind of unconscious? I, I definitely use? try to. So I don't, yeah. I don't win at this all the time, but I've oh, always been too, a right? shit stirrer. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been a shit stirrer. And I think like, you know, that's a knowing me. smile from your sister. Yeah, that, that's me stirring <laughs> shit. When that little, that little girl in my head says that stuff, it's me saying, oh, you reckon? Okay, I'm going to show you. So you go. Red rag to a ball. Yeah. I like, like it. That. What about you, Luce? I have had the opportunity to reflect while my sister was talking, which is always how I tend to roll, which is great. Um, and I think you're right. I, I'm really, it's really interesting from the outside in observing that pattern of you, your inner Voldemort and you challenging that and you really do Rose a real it's a real strength of being a doer mm. that n choosing and forcing yourself not to marinate in that self-doubt really interesting to kind of hear you reflect on that I identified three things that I've done for myself cool. to grow and to also take care throughout all of this that's a really good point too the care yep. piece yeah the first one is like remaining connected to the work has been and it's probably a theme throughout my comments I guess but um, yeah, towards the end, I, I no longer run workshops, obviously, I'm too old, but towards the end of that time, running workshops in schools, also navigating the growth of the organisation, managing teams, um, and having a personhood outside of work was really challenging. Um, but throughout that time, I also encountered, for the first time in my life, a really vile and uh, overt experience of bullying myself. It was linked to some a homophobic disintegration of something that happened. It was very public, wasn't it? It was wild, yeah. yeah. And throughout that time, for the first time, I actually learnt how we hear a lot in, in business or in organizations about how you need to take care of yourself through work but I actually learned how work could take care of me through yeah, personal right. stuff um, and in fact showing up running those workshops I could feel other things in my life disintegrating and falling down but work was a real constant and working with young people for the first time I felt more connected than ever with the experience of um, oppression, not just not just bullying and, and violence and the hate that exists in this world, but the fact that there were people's lived experience that I just hadn't seen because of my own privilege. And I guess that bubble was burst and it was an incredibly um, growing moment for me to be able to show up and 
see the value and the resilience and the strength of those people and yeah. those students and actually feel looking looking into the eyes of an audience that I had, hadn't ever fully seen um, was just an incredible experience and one that I really carry and I carry when I look at our team as well. Constantly remind myself because they come, come forward with a lot of um, amazing positive views and also really challenging perspectives as well that mm. need to be heard and it's a great reminder and a great... Uh, both accountability, but also keeps me strong to be able to face their criticisms and yep. feedback too. Um, the second thing is like, I know lots of people in leadership do like life coaching and um, business coaching and stuff, but for me, um, therapy has been a really great yeah, way yeah, to develop I'm and glad grow. You said that. Um, so like, yeah, getting yourself right, I think is such a great thing for anyone in an organization. We um, candidly, as women, um, as queer women, as people in social enterprise, as the um, people running an organization, face a lot of criticism internally, externally, um, and in your own head by the sounds of things as well, Ro. Um, so like having a space to, to, to deposit all of that and to grow, I just think is incredibly, incredibly valuable and I can't recommend it enough. Um, Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and the third one is getting a dog. <laughs> Like, Jane, no shit. I, I, do you know what? I love I'm that. the best. I really thought I'd seen Luce at her happiest yeah. over the course of our history together, but I, it turns out I hadn't. So, when did this? When was this purchase made? When did the dog come into your life? What's um, her name? Her name is. Give a shout out to her Instagram. Shout out to Associate Professor Chili Chipotle Penelope Von Crum. That is epic. <laughs> yeah. That is next level. And she epic. only responds to her full name. I, I would if <laughs> well, I were given such a wonderful name. Damn right. Yeah, she's. Don't use she's my full wild. title. I'm not coming. <laughs> yeah, I guess like. Uh, yeah, I'm, I. You hear people talk about like work-life balance and how important yeah. it is. I have actually never. I politely will nod my head when people say that. Yeah. I think if you work in a traditional industry, in most jobs, that's cool. But when you work with your sister, and when the thing you're, you're working on, your own thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when the thing you're most passionate about is the thing you get to do at work. Like we love it when our partners don't come out for a drink or something, because then we just get to talk about Project Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Yeah. yeah. So, but actually, having a dog is like that. She doesn't understand the challenges of scaling an organisation, um, believe it or not. She just I mean, you, you've told her all about it. Yeah. I, I've had. She listens, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she just wants to be fed, man, and have her belly scratched, don't we all? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a great perspective and shift and feeling that kind of unconditional love. Mm. Yeah, I, I was going to say, someone that's always excited when you walk in the door and mm. you know, bounds all over you and stuff like that. There's a lot to love about dogs, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. What is the best bit of advice you've been given on your journey and what is the best bit of advice you would give based on the journey you've had so far? Right, mm. so they'd be the same. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Um, from a, a, a sentiment taken from one of my favourite books, Alice in Wonderland. Um, love. Growing up, I was totally immersed in, and I just love the way that the whole narrative starts. That you know, there's this girl, a re regular, ordinary kid, who's just sitting watching life go by when she sees an opportunity, uh, something unexpected and something extraordinary, and she, and it's a white rabbit in a waistcoat with a who's late like it's ridiculous and um fantastical and she just follows it because she's curious she gives it a go she absolutely falls into a bizarre place where nothing is the same falls down the rabbit hole and to me that's like a great motivator to follow the things that make you curious in life and that's why project rocket exists i've got a reminder say, on my arm yeah uh, the tattoo nice yeah follow the white rabbit written on your arm i love that yep 
and it's a reminder to, to seize those opportunities. It's really easy, for, I think, for us to get stuck in our perceptions of what if I fall down the rabbit hole and break my ankle or yeah. what if I look silly do in front of a crowd doing it. But um, without taking those leaps and those opportunities, nothing would happen. And in fact, Project Rocket wouldn't exist mm. from my perspective. So yeah, I'd encourage people to, to see curiosity as a motivator rather than the anticipation of failure or achievement, because uh, that tends to be very brittle. And when we look at things in those finite terms, uh, we tend to get stuck and um, into inaction. Um, mm. So I think curiosity is a really great motivator. I love that, awesome. I'm gonna go back to mama and say probably the best piece of advice was really around coming home from school and having mum ask, what are you gonna do about it when yeah. you see something? But, but adding to that, it was really about the concept that not everyone's gonna like you. Yeah. And I think I've really um, lent into that over the last few years because as Lou said, like sort of the more successful Project Rocket's got and the more public we've become, the more criticism we've received. Mm. And it's actually made me, probably the shit stir in me again, has made me think, well, if people aren't liking what we do, we're doing something right. right. Yeah, and to be honest, um, as someone who really, really wants to walk the walk when it comes to the messages that we're sharing with young people around actually like sacrificing to, to create change yeah. and to giving up things to stand up for others, that actually it means that you're not going to be liked at times. And, totally. you know, by taking that stand, hopefully other people are going to do the same. And so that's one thing that I, I remember mum really saying um, when I come home even with friendship dramas and, you know, the risk of, okay, but if I do stand up and people are you know, going to tear me down or they're going to judge me or they're going to pick on me next. It's like, well, it's all worth it in the end. Mm. So that's one thing. And a piece of advice, um, and again, it's fresh from my experience yesterday with these incredible students I was working with. Um, we were talking about the question that I asked them because they're, they're sort of, many of them are in year, year 10 and they're all saying that they're really sick of being asked the question, like, what do you want to do? What are you going to be in yeah. five years? What do you want to do when you finish school? And we started talking about, well, who do you want to be? And yeah. that's a really big question too. Especially for a teenager, it's, 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 it's a way better question. Yeah. Who do you want to be? Because for some students, they're like, I want to be a molecular biologist. I can't even say the word clearly. <laughs> but, um, but for other students, they don't know what they want to do. But for a lot of students as well, we don't know who we want to be. Mm. And so the question that I love framing with young people, and we do this a bit in our workshops too, is asking that question to work out who you want to be now mm. is how do you want to be remembered um, from the people at your school, from, from school, how do you want to be remembered from school or how do you want to be remembered from your days on this planet? Because if we can connect with the person we want to be remembered for, it holds us accountable to be that person today. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's something that's really helpful to, to engage with that if, if I want to be someone who takes a stand, then it helps me not be liked because that's how I want people to remember me. And if I don't take a stand, if I stay quiet, no one's gonna remember me for that. And so it helps, like, I guess, hold me accountable. And I imagine as well in those moments where, cause you know, it's easier said than done to take on some of the hate and the critique and whatever that you experience, but that ability to link it to the core of what you, mm. who you wanna be and, and how, what you wanna be remembered for, I imagine steals you a little bit in those moments too. Yeah. It kind of becomes, I don't know, self-reinforcing or a reminder of, okay, I am on the right course though, mm. you know? Also, let me acknowledge that um, criticism is important. So, sure. um, you know, in, I, I do want to be in a place in my life where I'm constantly learning, constantly trying new things and, and putting myself out there to create change, but I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make lots of them. And so by receiving that criticism, I've really had to learn, particularly in the last few years, to be really open to feedback and to not take it personally, but instead really lean into it and use it as an opportunity 
to just be better, mm. to know more, to be better, to help out more, mm. to look out for others more. Um, and that means that you just kind of have to take the person personalness out of it. For me, I want to create a life and a business and everything that I do where it's actually not about me, mm. it's about my impact. I want to remove ego from that. And if I ever catch myself feeling that ego, then I know that I'm actually not connecting with the impact that I'm actually having. Oh, I adore the two of you, honestly. Final question. One of the things we're really intentional around with the podcast is wanting to fuel a community of people who be, want to be the change they want to see in the world. So I'd love if you could leave our community, you know, wanting to move them from a state of inspiration, having heard all the ideas and the incredible impact that you are achieving and the work you're doing into a state of action. What would be the call to action that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I'm going to give you the chance to reflect and mm-hmm. you can share something on behalf of both of us because oh. there's something I, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, given that we're recording this in the middle of NADOC week, I'm mm-hmm. not sure when it will be released, but a call to action I think that we both and mm-hmm. Project Rocket would love to share is that the theme of this year's NADOC is Voice Treaty Truth, mm-hmm. which are the three principles of reform um, that underpin the Uluru Statement. Um, and I guess a, an action that we'd love for people to take given the history of bullying, violence and hatred that have happened on these very lands um, is for people to, um, I won't share my personal opinion on the statement, but I'll ask you to read it. I agree. Everyone should read that statement 100%. And and this week for the podcast, we're uh, featuring Michaela Jade, an incredible... I know. We love Michaela. We all love Michaela. Unbelievable Indigenous entrepreneur uh, and voice for Indigenous people right around the world too. So um, we're absolutely celebrating NADOC Week this week and I couldn't concur with that more. That's awesome. Mm. I guess the only thing I'd add to that is is just, yeah, to do something is that, as my mum would say, what are you going to do about it? And you might be fixated on whatever issue it is that you're tackling or whatever business that you're growing. But if you really do believe in the values behind your business or what you're tackling, they actually can be applied to any issue in the world. So, yeah, when, when it comes to any sort of issue of injustice, it's up to all of us to speak out and to educate yourself on it and to actually do something, whether it be tiny in the moment, like shutting down a hateful conversation or um, choosing to dislike something or call something out in that moment, or whether it be actually starting an initiative, starting a petition on change.org, or whether it be starting an organisation. But the, the moral of the story is that right now, more than ever, when we see stuff that we do don't like we need to do something i love that what a note to end on thank you both so much but not just your time today but the work that you're doing it is so inspiring and i can't wait to see where this is going to go next like i want to have another one of these conversations in a decade and just be able to talk about the next chapter of whatever your work evolves into whatever project rocket evolves into those two may be the same may be different who knows Um, but i just feel so grateful that there are champions like you driving conversations changing changing the narrative changing the reality of the culture in our society and i can't thank you enough for that your pioneering leadership it's unreal thank you for having thank us you so much thanks for listening i hope you're feeling fired up to be the change that you want to see in the world i'd love to hear about the impact you're having so hit me up on social and let me know what you're working on and if you've enjoyed the conversation why not keep it alive and share it with someone in your world i'm holly ransom let's grab a coffee again soon mm-hmm.